Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Lori Keefe, a member of AFSCME Council 32. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WART possible. Hi, I'm Mike Bernhard, a member of International Union 330 of the IWW. This week, we honor the life of a local labor historian and activist, take a look at organizing across our listening area, learn about changes proposed by the National Labor Relations Board, share updates on Starbucks and CUNA, talk to local farmers, and much, much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining member of WORT and Labor Radio. We begin today with Ellen LaLazerne, who shares this tribute to Steve Mazar. The Madison labor movement lost a key activist last week with the death of Steve Mazar after a lengthy illness, two weeks shy of his 78th birthday. Mazar held several positions in his local union, including the presidency, and was chair of the South Central Federation of Labor's Education Committee for 30 years. Under his leadership, the Federation's Education Committee was known for its innovative Labor with a Bite program held prior to the Federation's monthly meetings, featuring presentations and discussions on labor history and other topics of interest to working people. The committee also regularly sponsored School for Workers trainings, as well as other special events. When the South Central Federation of Labor was honored by the national AFL-CIO as one of the only 14 union cities in 2001, its education programs were featured. Mazar, who was a National Merit Scholar at Michigan State University, was an archivist at UW-Madison. He was also active in his professional career. He was a founder of the Midwest Archives Conference and regularly attended that organization's annual meetings, as well as the annual meetings of the National Society of American Archivists. Steve was known for his quick wit and his inquisitive mind. He is survived by his brother, Jim Mazar, and sister, Kathleen Kathy Mazar Collins, nephews Chris, Amy Tim Bucknett, Adam Bucknett, David Nicole Mazar, and his children, Madeline and Mason, and niece, Mary Beth Henry and her children, Isabel and Cameron. Steve was preceded in death by his parents and his brother-in-law, Joe Collins. A celebration of his life will be held at a later date. Office of Professional Workers Local 39 and CUNA are in contract negotiations. Frank Emspach has the story. Local 39 and CUNA Mutual have been in negotiations for more than two months. Little, if any, progress has been made. Labor Radio spoke with Joe Avica, Chief Steward of OPI Local 39 at the CUNY Mutual Group and a member of the bargaining team. We asked Joe to outline the five concerns of the members. The five main priorities that our members came up with in in surveys to our bargaining team included fair compensation that keeps up with inflation, protecting quality affordable health care, job security, and an elimination of outsourcing and contracting of work, the flexibility to continue working remotely beyond the pandemic, as well as uh, a secure retirement, Uh, so protecting our pension as well as 401k benefits. Boiled down, the concerns focus on fundamental issues. 
So we've been bargaining for about two months with the company. And as it stands right now, even though our company is making record profits, their proposals are to eliminate our HMO plan, uh, to freeze the pension plan for all new hires, as well as to offer wage increases, uh, which are significantly below uh, inflation. Avika's overall assessment is that the company's proposals are concessionary. For example, they undermine the health plan, deny pension rights to new hires, and the wage proposals below inflation. CUNA reports a very positive financial situation on their website with $303 million of revenue last year. According to the union, the wage and benefit proposals seem to have little relationship to CUNA's robust financial position. As a result, the members are deciding to take additional steps to demonstrate to the company that they support their bargaining committee. Avika describes the next step. Our next step is to organize an informational picket on Mineral Point Road. Just recently, our members in a town hall meeting uh, voted 87% in favor of supporting an informational picket um, outside of our company's new building on Mineral Point and Rosa Road. So we're asking that all community members, whether you're union members or you're not, uh, to please join us on the picket line on May 1st at 10 a.m. on Mineral Point Road. After the picket, we are planning to do uh, a picnic as well um, since May first is International Workers' Day, and we want to celebrate with the rest of the Madison community. While at first glance, it may seem strange to have an informational picket on Sunday, Avika pointed out that the vast majority of CUNA workers are working from home and are not at the office anyway. So a picket on a workday when no one is at work seemed foolish. Hence, a picket and a picnic seem to make more sense. We asked if there was a deadline for the contract. There is no deadline, though the contract, the, the prior contract did expire on March 31st. We're trying to come to an agreement as quickly as we can with the company. But at this time, we're also preparing our members for alternative kinds of action uh, that we can take in order to uh, make sure we win a fair contract. Joel told Labor Radio that negotiations are scheduled for Thursday, yesterday. But as of broadcast, Labor Radio has no information as to their outcome. Labor Radio thanks Joel Vika, OPEIU Chief Steward for the CUNA Mutual Group for this interview. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio's Sean Hagerup explores how a proposed change from the NLRB can be a welcome one for unions. Early this week, the counsel to the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, Fernando Anzaldúa, submitted a brief arguing in support of overturning the prevailing Giselle legal framework in favor of the Joy Silk Doctrine for reviewing unfair labor practices during union elections. This change in doctrine would be a significant swing in the direction of union organizers who, for the past 51 years, have had to battle through a framework deferential to intimidation tactics employed by companies against workers. The brief was submitted in response to a series of complaints filed by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters over a union election held in 2019 at a cement manufacturer that operates in Southern California and Nevada. The union alleged that the company employed a series of intimidation tactics and threats, as well as retaliatory actions against workers who were vocal supporters of the union. The case, originally adjudicated by a judge in California, offered a series of remedies to organizing workers and ordered a second election. 
Notably, however, the judge stopped short of recommending a Giselle bargaining order, which would have required the company to recognize and bargain with the union. Giselle, a legal framework that has been the standard for reviewing ULP complaints and elections since 1971, holds that a company can be required to bargain with the union if the unfair practices in question make the laboratory conditions requisite for a future election impossible, based on a series of factors reviewed by the NLRB. In the brief, Anzaldúa argued that this framework has been wholly insufficient to discourage employers from committing unfair labor practices since its establishment, as it both requires speculation on the future conditions at a company and allows employers extra time to further suppress union support through either legal or illegal means. Further, the brief argues that reinstating Joy Silk would serve as an administrative boon to the board, as it would reserve the election process to those units where it can be decisively concluded that majority support does not exist if the company provides untainted evidence to that end. Under Joy Silk, in contrast to Giselle, companies would be required to provide a good faith doubt that a union has acquired majority support of a given unit before an election would be ordered by the board. If it was found that the company had either acted unfairly in suppressing support for the union, or if they could not decisively prove minority support, they would be ordered to bargain with the union. The brief concluded that moving away from the Joy Silk framework, in combination with a series of other decisions made by the board in the latter half of the 20th century, was at least in part responsible for a collapse of union elections throughout the country over that same time period. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. People moving out, people moving in, why? Because of the color of the skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. Things are heating up in the labor movement all across the area. Labor Radio's Greg Jabowski has the story. Workers are organizing across the country, and the Madison area is no exception. Labor Radio spoke yesterday to Kevin Gunlock, the president of the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE, about this exciting growth, including some drives you followed right here on Labor Radio. We haven't had this many leads and organizing efforts all at the same time in over 50 years. We have four union drives that are all public. Many of your listeners through WRT have heard about the UW hospital workers with SEIU, the nurses out there. Thousands of them through the UW hospital system have decided they want to join a union, they want to form a union, and that's with SEIU. This all started actually before the pandemic, and these workers were really sick of the working conditions, and the pandemic kind of exposed it for the rest of us as well of how important these workers are to public health, to our health, as well as making sure that they're safe. And that just escalated the actions out there during the pandemic because of the conditions. Workers in the long union-defined tech sector organizing in Middleton, Gunlock says. We've got also, as you know, out at Raven, who makes these video games, I think it's Call of Duty, and that's with CWA. Those workers are also organized. Goodluck describes Colectivo Coffee, whose workers won a union election to join the IBEW and are now fighting for their first contract. 
Then we've got Colectivo. Um, you've interviewed folks out there. They have a number of coffee shops, mostly in Milwaukee, a few in Chicago, but then also here in Madison, there's three locations. And that's with IBW. We know how wages are so low in that industry. The hours are not great and, of course, very little benefit. So those workers have been organizing for quite some time, and they continue to fight for their rights. And then there's workers fighting the giant of the coffee shop industry. And then we have Starbucks nationally with Workers United, and those workers are organizing here in the Madison area, as well as other places in Wisconsin, which is very exciting. The same issues. So we're going to be supporting all of these, and we continue to support all of these organizing efforts. And these workers are incredibly brave and resilient workers who are going to be standing up and fighting for the rights alongside of the labor community and our allies. Good luck describes how you can help a bit when you get a coffee where workers are fighting for their union. You want to go have a bite to eat or have a coffee and you end up going to Colectivo or Starbucks. Starbucks on the square right now is the one, but the three locations of Colectivo, make sure you order your coffee or your whatever you're getting, uh, Union Strong, and then they will yell out Union Strong for your name. shows that there's community support, so don't forget to do that. But these are only the public actions. There's a lot more organizing going on locally, Gunluck explains. There are other organizing leads that have come in. We have sat down with these workers. They're not quite ready to go public yet. They're not quite ready to say, hey, here's the union we're going to go with. They just have come to our office. We've sat down with them a number of times, encouraging them to take the first step. Some of them already did in terms of mapping their workplace, mapping the employer, just kind of figure out who's where at the workplace, what's their job position, kind of looking at who can they go talk to, and they've already done that, some of them. These organizing actions are occurring across sectors, Gundlach explains. That's four different places, all very different types of work environments. Some of them are nonprofits, some of them are tech workers, some of them are retail, some of them are with advanced degrees. Workers from all walks of life are facing some of the same obstacles when it comes to their wages, when it comes to their benefits. Always, it seems like their working conditions, their hours, and so forth. And when it comes to some of the safety issues due to COVID, among other reasons. Workers have had enough, and they are taking action by fighting for a union, says Gunlock. When it comes to the workplace, when it comes to a, an employer who does not care, it's not care about anything except it seems like continuing their record profits and increasing it, uh, and it's at the expense of workers. So these workers across all these areas are saying enough's enough, and it's time to organize, it's time to fight back. I think that's telling. That was Scuffle President Kevin Gunlock. If you and your co-workers are forming a union or just want to know where to start, Gunlock says to email scuffle at organize at scuffle.org. That's organize at scfl dot org. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. Here's the latest on Pabst Theater Group workers and their fight for union representation. It was a union drive that started almost two and a half years ago. Now, employees working with the Pabst Theater Group in Milwaukee are headed to the National Labor Relations Board to petition for an election. Interest in a union had been sparked as a result of pandemic-era theater closures, but intensified in the past six months, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. According to the Sentinel's reporting, about 82% of PTG's roughly 60 part-time employees from their box office Event staff and hospitality division signed union authorization cards with the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers Association, otherwise known as MASH, as of April 4th. MASH is the same group that successfully helped five serve forum employees establish a union recognized by the Milwaukee Bucks management in 2020. With the percentages in their favor, 
MASH President Peter Rickman sent a public letter to PTG CEO Gary Witt on the 4th seeking voluntary recognition of the union. In the meantime, workers rallied this Wednesday in front of the Riverside Theater for the right to be recognized as a union. They were joined by Rickman and other current MASH members. Quote, We expect that they will allow a free and fair choice of Pabst Theater group workers to form their union, said Rickman. We expect that they will do so without relying on the bureaucratic machinery that, unfortunately, federal labor law allows too many employers to take advantage of. In a subsequent statement, Pabst Theater Group said that they had received the request and that while they would respect the outcome of an NLRB election, they believe that, quote, the best way to determine whether a majority of employees desire to be represented by the union is through an election conducted by the National Labor Relations Board, not through their own recognition. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. A spring tradition returns to Capitol Square this week. Here is Carol Weidel with the story. The Dane County Farmers Market will move outdoors to the Capitol Square on Saturday. Labor Radio caught up with some farmers at the last indoors market at Garver Feed Mill. This last market featured new products as spring warms up. Gretchen Cruz of Hickory Hill Farms spoke about the challenge in getting the work done, sometimes bringing in additional labor and creating new products. It is the last indoor. Next week we're outdoor back on the square. So let's hope for weather like this. I do a lot of the work, um, and I did this summer secure a couple more people that'll come a day a week and help me a little bit. But um, it's kind of challenging to be able to afford to hire help and do the production at the same time, you know, with or without them, it's hard enough. I carry products all the way from house plants to um, freeze-dried foods to other processed foods, fresh and dried herbs. Now I have a certified kitchen on the farm that I just finished this last winter, and I have some frozen take-and-bake items that are vegan, wheat-free is kind of my focus, but I also dabble in a few other things. I try to take products that I have excess of and utilize them in processed foods. Joe Landis of Fungi Farms grows mushrooms and mushroom products. We sell shiitake oyster, lion's mane mushrooms, as well as reishi and turkey tail and uh, and chaga. So we do the culinary and medicinal mushrooms, as well as uh, products, dried and uh, in the medicinal tinctures and some of the, the mushroom seasonings as well. Yeah, we're also selling mushroom plug spawn, so people can inoculate their own fresh hardwood logs to grow some of their own mushrooms in their backyard. And for those, we have varieties of shiitake, oyster, lion's mane, and some medicinals known as turkey tail and reishi. You just drill a hole and you fill the hole with the mushroom plug spawn, and then you can uh, seal that over with a hot wax. And that kind of helps keep the moisture content of the log. Be there every Saturday on... Um, West Washington and Carroll. Just look for the red and white polka dot windsock on our canopy. The farmers have more vegetables, local food products, and plants as spring warms up, and both sellers and shoppers look forward to the first market. It's early spring, but we have uh, quite a nice diversity right here at Garber, and I suspect it's going to be even more so once we get out on the square. I've already got some chives on the table this week from my greenhouse. I got one little bag of rhubarb, um, trying to stimulate it to grow. You know, there'll be greens, more greens coming along, and um, it's definitely the season for transplanting and just rock and rolling. 
The Dane County Farmer's Market opens at 6.15 on Saturday morning and runs until 1.45 on the Capitol Square in Madison. This is Carol Weidel reporting for Labor Radio. Labor Radio takes a look at the wave of organizing at Starbucks across the country. Starbucks Workers United, an independent organization associated with the Workers United Union and Service Employees International Union, has accumulated a series of unanimous electoral wins in their ongoing nationwide drive to organize the coffee giant. Overall, Starbucks Workers United have won 21 out of 23 union elections across the United States since the beginning of their campaign last summer. The union's biggest win to date came last month, with a 46-36 to win at the company's flagship roastery in New York. A recent series of four consecutive elections, stretching across Massachusetts, Oregon, New York, and Pennsylvania, have been decided unanimously in favor of the union. The streak ended yesterday when a store in Springfield, Virginia, went 10 votes to 8 against joining. Howard Schultz, billionaire and former presidential candidate, retook the reins at the company from former CEO Kevin Johnson early last month in the wake of the first series of union wins. Since his reappearance at the top of the corporate ladder, he has put in overtime to ramp up the company's union-busting campaign. Most recently, the New York Times reported on an announcement made by Schultz that policies meant to alleviate attrition at the company, which would include raises and more flexible scheduling, would not initially apply to unionized employees. At the Virginia store, organizers indicated that the threat had a definite impact in the company's favor for their election, strengthening the union's case for a potential unfair labor practice complaint against Schultz. According to worker leader Galen Berg, quote, we weren't going to be able to get the raises in the next coming months. We're not going to be able to work at other stores. Definitely our partners believe that had an impact, end quote. Two Starbucks stores have used their power to organize a strike in Seattle starting today. Workers walked out of their stores to demand a pay increase to $20 an hour and full health care coverage, as well as an improvement to staffing policy. In Wisconsin, four Starbucks locations across the state have made a move for a union election. These locations, located in Plover, Appleton, Oak Creek, and Madison, have not yet been seen by the National Labor Relations Board to set their election dates. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. And now for some announcements. All are invited to the Madison Print and Zine Fest to be held tomorrow, Saturday, April 16th, from 11 to 4 p.m. at the Central Library downtown at 201 West Mifflin Street. The Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign will be on hand with organizer Acadia and her zine about the third reconstruction and the Poor People's Campaign. Acadia will have paper and pens so you can share your own words and artwork with this powerful project. For more information, go to madisonbubbler.org. Come celebrate May Day and check out Worker Justice Wisconsin's new office and training center. The space in room 115 at the Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street, will open from 4 to 8 p.m. and will have snacks on hand. You can learn more and pick up our WJW membership card. Please wear a mask. Thank you. 
Advocate for immigration reform and show immigrants that they are essential by joining a two-day May Day strike action organized by Voces de la Frontera. The action will occur on Sunday, May 1st in Milwaukee and Monday, May 2nd in Madison. For Madison's event, meet at the state capitol at 11 a.m. to rally for the restoration of state driver's license for immigrants. For more, check out Voces' Facebook event, Un Dia... Un Dia Sin Immigrantes, Wisconsin. You can now hear our show anytime. Just subscribe to the Labor Radio podcast. Here's Labor Radio Scott McCullough. Are you a worker? Then we have news for you. Labor Radio is a news program by, for, and about working people. As we enter our third decade on the WORT airwaves, we're excited to bring you a new way to listen via a podcast. The Labor Radio Podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Rate and subscribe to bring more working people's issues to the digital airwaves. That's the Labor Radio Podcast, available from your community radio station, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Lori Keefe. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbach and Ellen LaLucerne, assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Jabowski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Ham, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of IBW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Mike Bernhard. We also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay on please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts. <laughs>